0: it to you because it's a brilliant idea and I think we really need to TM that shit before anybody else sees that meme. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have seen it, but okay. No, but nobody's trademarked it yet. Oh, all it, right. That could be us. That could be us. <laughs> so don't be tripping. Um, okay, so it's an app. Okay. And it's like Tinder mm-hmm. except people in relationships use it. Each one has their account. You swipe right or left on restaurants in your area. And if you each swipe right on the same restaurant, that's where you go eat dinner. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. And it's called Chicken Tinder. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Except our twist, I think it should be winner, winner, Chicken Chicken Tinder. Tinder. Oh. Right? Yeah. yeah, That's better. All right. TM, don't steal that, motherfucker. TM, that's ours.
1: (laughs) That is going to be a thing soon, though, isn't it? God,
0: I hope so. It would... It would relieve so much tension in some relationships. Although
1: I also feel like we're just going to get at the same place every time.
0: Probably, but also that's fine. Right? It's always going to be Taco Bell, but that's fine. Right? It's always going to be
1: Bart and Baker for me and Jeremy. Yeah. We're always going to be like... Because at the end of the day, we're always like, do you want to just
0: get Bart and Baker? It's also literally one block from your yeah, house. We have and, no issue
1: walking and to And Taco
0: it. Bell is literally one block from my house, so... You, you go
1: with the most delicious and closest thing to you in Pretty proximity.
0: Much. Pretty much. And Taco Bell delivers now, so... Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, what a time! What a time to be alive, isn't I, it? Isn't really, it? You know what? it. It kind of it? is.
1: I really needed that because, like, man, researching this week's episode whew, put me in a place. I mean, this whole week has put us in a place. Yeah, but... I've been in a weird place, but research, <laughs> like, man, I I got brought right back to like age fucking, fifteen, fucking reality of being. A teenage adolescent. Oh my god! And like just how much everything was terrible.
0: Also and a terrible lie. A terrible lie. <laughs> and and
1: how very much a certain album from my childhood was like very accurate to my feelings of depression and despair. Yeah. So, wow. We'll get into it though. Bringing you back.
0: Bringing you back. Time warp. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Time warp zone. <laughs> This Spe- is, <laughs> special this is, time warp this is like when you're in Super Mario and you find the time warp zone oh yeah but you're definitely going to the underworld the and you're like ooh why does this feel uncomfortable the only thing worse than that is being launched into the underwater world Ugh. I fucking hate the underwater world I like the song though wee, wee, yeah and then you get eaten by a giant fish yeah You just fuck your shit up. You're like, I can't
1: swim and and shoot
0: fireballs. And the only thing you have to protect yourself is Tanuki Mario. And that doesn't help anything. You need the frog suit. Oh, you're talking about very different Marios. I'm talking about all the Marios at this point. You're right. There you go. Every Mario ever. I don't discriminate between the Marios. However, I think um, number three is my jam. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. It is good. I played a lot
0: of Super Mario Brothers 3. A lot. I don't know. I really like Super Mario World. That was a good one. Is that uh, Super Nintendo? Yeah. Yeah. I never went beyond regular Nintendo. I played it a couple times. And I was like, no, this isn't for me. I'm going back to three. Yeah.
1: No, I'm not really about this. You're real Shania yeah. Twain about Super Mario and World. And then
0: I start back at three. <laughs> Move over, Brian
1: McKnight. <laughs> Yeah, Super Mario 1 was cool, but look, we got to start at Mario 3. Yeah, That's really what that song was about, wasn't it? Back at 1. He's like, well, let's go back to the first Mario, guys. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about Brian McKnight. Or Mario. (laughs) I mean, but we are talking about the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Oh, we should introduce ourselves. I'm
0: Maggie. I'm Ashley. We were born in the 80s and children in the 90s. Children hey, that's of the Corn, shit. pretty much. Children of the Corn with a K. Malachi, <laughs> both, both the horror movie and the horror show that was Corn the band. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, I was here for both of them.
1: But anyway, horror
0: shows can tie us into tonight's subject. Nine Inch Nails, finally getting to Nine Inch. Finally, Nails. we are getting to Nine Inch Nails. I was so excited when I like erased that. Off, off of, the list, off of my list on my phone. I was like, oh, oh, I can take one off. Yay! We're finally doing Nightingales. I've been waiting to do Nightingales since the beginning, but I don't know. Like everything I'm, else
1: got in the way. Everything else gets in the way, but also, again, at least part one, because yo, this is a two-parter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is put me in a place, man. Like yesterday, like I was just sitting in the nook writing my notes,
0: and Jeremy came in and he looked at me. He's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "I don't know." Trent I mean, Reznor got am? me feeling feelings. Oh, God. Like, whew. if any man on this planet can make you feel feelings that you don't really necessarily want to feel. It's Trent Reznor. It's Trent fucking 90s Reznor.
1: Trent Reznor? Oh, my God. Let's get specific. 90s Trent Reznor. Basically,
0: any man with longish hair and sleeves that go over their thumbs Is going to make me feel feelings. Mm. Or like the sleeves are cut off like way beyond the shoulder. And like put together with safety pins. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean. He's a feeling kind of man. He is. I'm here for it though. Yeah.
1: No, I was going to say looking at old pictures of Trent Reznor, I'm like, "Mm." God, I wanted to fuck that man when I was in high school. I wanted to fuck the shit out of him. And I
0: did not realize until much later in my life that he was about five foot seven. Oh, (laughs) yeah. He's short. He's very short. Mm.
1: And like now, I don't know, like most men I'm like, yeah, get get it. Be a daddy. And I'm like, mm, I'm not feeling Trent Reznor daddy. Like as a friend, yes, but I won't father Daddy Reznor. Many,
0: many times over, there is only one man on this planet that I would ever even consider oh. calling daddy, and it is David Harbour. Is yeah. he daddy? He is daddy though.
1: Anyway, anyway <laughs> wow, segways. Segways galore. Sorry about that, guys. One last segue before we get into the tonight's
0: storytelling.
1: Oh, yeah. We can tell you about the things that we're drinking. You guys want to know? And people who don't drink beer or cider like, we don't fucking care. Too bad. If you want to know about wine and alcohol, you let us know and we'll do some research. 30 seconds ahead. So I am drinking from Hermit Thrush Brewery, Athenaeum. Athenaeum. Athenaeum so close i think we just got this because it was something i couldn't say <laughs> but there's there's a there's a thrush on it which is a bird and it kind of looks like a crow actually it looks more like a raven but either way there's crows in uh, nine inch nails perfect drug video yes. Or are they ravens
0: we're you reaching no i'm reaching. I, you know either what? way we're How reaching
1: it's a really good fucking beer it
0: is a kettle soured pale ale and it's just God, it's delicious. I think Hermit Thrush is one of my absolute favorite breweries. Yeah. Pretty much because they only make sours and they're fantastic sours as they should be because Mm. they're very expensive. Yeah, they are. So if you get them straight from Vermont,
1: they're not too bad. But yeah, once they get over here for some reason, it's like.
0: It's like you want to pay 30 bucks for a four pack, you go pay 30 bucks for this four pack. But you're going to fucking love it. Yeah.
1: This one might be a contender for best beer of the year. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh and also I am drinking uh Abandoned Hard Cider. Sure. Their hopped version. The cool thing about this cidery though is that they go to abandoned um apple orchards around the Hudson Valley in New York mm-hmm. and gather all of their apples. Oh, and... that explains the funky taste. <laughs> yeah. That's cause... why it tastes kind of funky. Cuz they're they're haunted. It's haunted they cider. They came back haunted. It came back haunted. Fucking did it, man. We did it.
1: We did it. All right. Good night, folks. See you next week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. (laughs) We did it.
0: But on Uh, that note, maybe we should go into it.
1: Yeah, let me get into this story because it's going to. We got a lot to cover. We do. Again, this is just part one of two. So many would argue before Nine Inch Nails, industrial just wasn't seen in the mainstream, but. Once they became successful with radio hits, this band would not only catch the average radio listener off guard with catchy hooks, it would also influence rock for years to follow. Though I don't think it's fair to call Nine Inch Nails a band. They really aren't. I know,
0: just one guy.
1: Yeah, Nine Inch Nails is pretty much the music project of one man, Mm -hmm. Trent Reznor, who will be accompanied by musicians throughout his career, but really Nine Inch Nails is him.
0: Yeah, they've kind of constantly been... Revolving, yeah.
1: yeah, he has a revolving door of musicians. Yeah. I think at this point he's a little bit more
0: stable in his compatriots, but we'll, well get to that. You get into a routine once you get older, so yeah. I get it. Yeah, he's he's changed a lot. <laughs> part one, Trent Reznor is going to be v different than part two, Trent Reznor.
1: Yeah, <laughs> all right. Let me just lay that out on the line. <laughs> his story is a lengthy one. Trent is someone who stays busy and not only has many of his own projects, but has worked with other artists on their own projects as well. I think it would be unfair not to acknowledge how much of a hard worker he is and how he truly deep dives in everything he creates. Michael Trent Reznor was born on May 17th, 1965.
0: Hold on. His real name's Mike. Oh, come on. Well, I see why well, he went with Trent. Yeah, I was, I was getting <laughs> to that. He,
1: Newcastle, Pennsylvania. He's born about 50 miles from Pittsburgh. He was named after his father, Michael. So he's okay. a junior. Oh,
0: he's a junior.
1: Or I don't know if he's a junior. I think he's just a Michael and his dad was a Michael, which Half makes junior. even less sense to me. I'm like, if you're going to fucking name your kid after you, go balls out. <laughs> but all right. Right. But Trent decided to go by his middle name instead to avoid confusion. And like we said, it was the better choice. Yeah. Because like we say every time, Too Too many mics.
0: mics. Too many mics. Too many
1: mics. Get rid of all the mics. I mean, no, don't get rid of them. The current mics can stay.
0: (laughs) Just no more mics. No more mics.
1: Yeah. Oh, were you thinking of naming your kid Mike? No. No, you're not allowed. It's uh, against the rules now. Trent took to music in his childhood. At the age of five, his grandmother had him begin piano lessons, which he showed an immediate aptitude with. Huh. In school, he got involved with band programs where he learned both the tenor sax and the tuba tenor sax and tuba yeah he was a tenor sax and tuba babe and actually i failed to write this in here but he and his sister ended up living ended up living with his, their grandparents because when they were younger um their parents got divorced and his mom was basically like i can't take care of two kids yeah i'm a single mom like this isn't gonna work yeah. so he ended up being cared for by his grandparents
0: what year was he born Sixty five.
1: Oh, okay this was already like 1970. Yeah. He's going to live with his grandparents and taking yeah. piano. He goes in through school. He learns tenor sax and two books. He joined all the bands, mm-hmm. like jazz band and marching band. Two babe. Two babe.
0: Two babe. He's a two, two babe. babe. <laughs> but he didn't
1: limit himself to just instruments. He also became involved in theater at school, starring in shows like Jesus Christ Superstars, Judas, and The Music Man as the main character, Harold Hell. I just want you to Wait. picture Trent
0: Reznor in The Music
1: Man. Because hold up, I can see him as Judas and Superstar. I don't, totally. I don't
0: know The Music Man at all. It's so a very
1: corny musical. I, I mean, how is that different ago. from any musical? <laughs> but this one's particularly corny. Like, this is like what you think of when you think of musicals. It's not like Les is or *Hamilton*, where there's like drama and historical shit. Yeah, it's like it's just music. It's music and cheesy. It's yeah, I don't yeah, oh. I don't even like it. So, but anyway, I <laughs> was I was like, really, *The Music Man*? All right, <laughs> I guess. But this would all push him to win a best in drama award from his classmates.
0: Oh, kid was quite talented king amongst his peers yeah i mean he was a pretty friendly kid he had a decent childhood like he really wait 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 are we saying we have two weeks in a row with musicians with decent childhoods what's going on yeah i mean like are we again yes
1: (laughs) divorced parents but i think like overall like his grandparents really picked up the slack on that and he never felt like a lack of love in his family yeah um and i mean like yeah he he Always said, like, I didn't have a bad childhood, but he just knew, like, this wasn't it. Like, yeah. living in this area,
0: like, dysfunctional, but fine. Yeah, like, his grandparents
1: always encouraged him, and he had a lot of opportunities to explore himself creatively.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, he, cool overall. You know, he would just, he always felt he was missing something, mm-hmm. like, his life was a little too sheltered. He would watch TV and movies, read books and magazines, and all of this would inspire him to do more with his life than spend the rest of it in small town USA.
0: Oh, good for him.
1: Right? His grandmother wanted to pull him from school so he could pursue piano full time and hopefully become a classical pianist. Pianist? Yes. (laughs) Try really hard not to say like penis, but here we are. No, it's pianist. It's pianist. However, while Trent loved music, classical wasn't really his jam. Mm-hmm. At this point, he was finding influence with the more outrageous musicians musicians of the time, like David Bowie and, um, can you guess, can you guess who else he really liked? Who else does every, pretty much at least, I feel like everybody from the 70s references. Oh my god, it could
0: have been so many people. Um, we bitch about know. it all the time. Oh my god, no, I don't my is my mind blank. I don't know. A hint, there's stars and cats involved. Kiss. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. Kitty cat man and star if you kid. Did. Star <laughs> Kitty cat kid and star Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, Kitty that's cat best. man and star kid. Tongue guy.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're just their own Pokemon. They pretty much are. Mm -hmm. Except you can't really tell them apart. Mm -mm. In 1983, Trent was off to college, but not for music, which you'd think he'd go for, but instead for computer engineering. And honestly, that would prove to be just as helpful for him later on. probably the better one to go for anyway. Right? Yeah. He's still smart. And it's not like he was out of music completely. It was here that he joined his first legit band, Option 30, a new wave band that became quite popular in the western Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio college area. Mm-hmm. Trent became tired of it quickly because he didn't have much say in the music writing process. He just sang and played keyboards and he felt his creativity was pretty stifled. You can look up on YouTube mm-hmm. option 30. Okay. And you can find them doing a cover of Der Kommersar. Ah. Uh. And Trent singing it, <laughs> and I just want you to picture Trent Reznor singing "Don't Turn, Don't turn Around." Uh oh, yo yo, the commissars in town. town. Uh oh, it's delightful. It's so. Good. I want. I want to see this. It's so good. Oh god, and he had like kind of like subtle flock of seagulls feathered oh, hair and of a suit. He did. Oh, it's. Whoo! It's good. It's That's good. Adorable. Shit. College, as well as Option 30, was a short-lived experience, as he would drop out a year later so he could move to Cleveland, Ohio, where he would more actively pursue a career in music. Okay. Initially, he got a job as a salesperson at a keyboard audio shop, just to kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. have money, where he quickly made friends with a man named Bart Koster, who was opening a a recording studio called Right Track Studios. He was impressed with Trent's skills and knowledge of music and the equipment that came along with it. So he offered him a job. That's nice. This had to be one of the most important connections Trent made in his life because yeah. he would gain access to all the tools necessary to create his own music.
0: Yeah, talk about right place and right time.
1: Seriously. But before then, he was still trying to, trying his hand at playing with a band. Mm-hmm. In Cleveland, he bounced around a few groups most notably a synth pop band called Exotic Birds.
0: Oh. <laughs> which also just hilarious it's... to see him dressed up for. I like that they pretty much just name themselves after a corner of a pet store. <laughs> they're parakeets. <laughs> they're just fucking great. But like they're not even that specific. They're not parakeets. They're not lovebirds. They're but that's just that's what's always in e- the exotic birds. But section. they're just exotic birds. <laughs>
1: You get there, and it's just cockatiels and fucking all kinds parakeets. of shit. Parakeets, all of them. It's bullshit. That's what it is. <laughs> also, a member of Exotic Birds was Andy Kubzeski, who would later join Stabbing Westward. Oh, mm-hmm. Oh. wow. I think okay. Kubazuski. I, I butchered his name. I'm Kubazewski. sorry, Andy. I like that Kubzewski. one. Kubazuski. I'm sorry, Andy. But yeah, Trump became the keyboard and backup vocalist for that group, and this band actually gained a lot of local popularity, and they were even getting some nationwide opportunities like opening for Culture Club and performing as a fictional band called The Problems in a movie called Light of Day featuring
0: Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett. Oh, we talked about that in our Joan Jet episode. Yeah, I don't remember that, <laughs> but sure,
1: we did that.
0: Yeah, we definitely did, and everyone <laughs> said that she was... Pretty good at acting for a rock and roll lady. Oh, wacky. Wacky. <laughs> Look at this wacky lady.
1: But alas, Trent still found himself to be unhappy with his limited contributions in a band and decided he would be more comfortable going solo. Good for him. Good for him. Through his job at the recording studio, he was granted access to use it when no one else was, which meant the nighttime. So all day he would work his butt off as a janitor slash audio engineer,
0: and at night
1: <laughs> he would walk. He would go into work and start composing and recording his own pieces of music.
0: This just is ripe for like a funny clip or something. Of well, him. it's
1: weird because he would just he would. Legit
0: clean toilets, and everybody said he actually did a great job as a janitor. Like was- just picturing him like plunging a toilet, and then just like stopping in the middle because somebody's having a meltdown, and just walking out to the soundboard pushing some buttons. Like, are you okay now? Can I plunge the toilet now? You fucking clogged it up. Now I have to go and fix it. But let me fix your fucking sound first. <laughs> Yes. And then I Can now can I go back and deal with your shit in the toilet? Okay, we're good? Okay, thanks. You want to know why he was so yeah, angry fuck on fucking Pretty Hate Machine? Because <laughs> he was plunging toilets all day. Because <laughs> these alcoholic, fat-ass producers were, like, clogging toilets. He came up with terrible lie by going,
1: terrible hole! <laughs> terrible hole! Terrible hole!
0: You poop too much in this hole, and now I have to clean it. <laughs> Those were the original Those lyrics. Those were the original lyrics, guys. We did it. Oh, God. The, also, the original lyrics for Head Like a Hole. Sick of this <laughs> hole. Sick <of> th- <laughs> oh I'd rather die than plunge in this hole. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I just could someone out there please remake all of the songs on Create Machine to be <laughs> of an Angry
0: Janitor. Trent Reznor oh, Angry Janitor. <laughs> Album dropping soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. All right. So, initially he tried to put a band together to help him through the process, but he was never able to find quite the right group of musicians to capture the sound he was going for. So, inspired by Prince, he played all the parts himself and then put them together. Yeah. I did not realize that Prince did that, but Trent was like, I read once that Prince did that, and I said, I'm going to do that, too,
0: now. There's quite a few bands that do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Free Fighters. Yeah. Dave Grohl yeah. did it on their first album. Yeah. A lot of people are like, I'll Devin just do it. Townsend does it. Like, everybody does it. Everybody <laughs> does it. They're like, I'll just
1: fucking do it. He played the keyboard and guitar himself. And then for drums, he used a drum machine and samples, and he used the sequencing on a Macintosh Plus, and went really heavy on the synths for, like, a very electronica sound. The result would be his demo called The Purest Feeling, containing a handful of early versions of songs that would eventually end up on his first LP. Okay. And I you can find this on YouTube, and I listened to a good chunk of it, and some of these sound really fucking different. Huh. Like down in it sounds way different in the demo than it does like it almost sounds like a disco song
0: also about plunging toilets
1: (laughs) that's that's from
0: plunging the toilets to being a musician he was down in it He was now he's up up above it it. (laughs) oh my god his whole first album was just about shit, guys. Really,
1: guys, it was really just about how much he hated being a janitor. We found the real thing about Pretty Hate
0: Machine. See, the hate machine was the toilet. <laughs> it was pretty. Or was it that it so one well. guy that like just ate shit and just shat all over the place? Oh god! And he was the hate machine. It, it was all. I think
1: Trent was the hate machine. He's like, I can't. I cannot with this shit machine anymore. <laughs> Coming up with a name for the project, he came close to calling it the Crown of Thorns, but instead opted for Nine Inch Nails, because as he said, it sounded menacing, catchy, and could easily be abbreviated.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Crown of Thorns is a little too Jesus-y.
1: Yeah, I think he was kind of going for that to,
0: like, freak people out. So, when he's talking about Nine Inch Nails, is he talking about kind of like the nails that nailed jesus to the cross see there's
1: a lot of conspiracies like that one or that it's about freddy krueger's long nails and he said no it's none of those it's just because i thought it sounded cool
0: because i always imagined it as like you know the lady in the guinness book of world records with the longest nails that's all i ever pictured that's, that's also And now when fair. you say crown of thorns, I'm like, maybe it's a Jesus reference.
1: Yeah. Some people have speculated that, but he's said, no, it, it really was just because it sounded cool.
0: All right. Which is plausible. I mean, he was only
1: like, fuck, 20 maybe around the time? Like yeah. maybe early 20s. Yeah. So he could have just been like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and I mean, for what it's worth, Trent will prove throughout his entire career that he is very good at marketing. Mm-hmm. He understands branding. He understands what he wants
0: his branding to look like and, like, what his sound is. And what's good for the brand and what's not good for the brand. Exactly.
1: Like, he is a very uncompromising person when it comes to people getting their, people getting, trying to get a say in, like, how to package something or how to make something look. For him, it's like he could make the cool Nine Inch Nails logo. Mm -hmm. It's synonymous. Like, you can see it and you know it. Like, he understood that that is important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone seeing that a mile away, they're like, "Oh, that's Nine Inch Nails." Yeah, he wanted that kind of notability. Trent got himself a manager in John Malm, who was the former manager of Exotic Birds (laughs) at Petco. At Petco, oh
0: my god, he was the manager
1: of the Exotic (laughs) Birds section.
0: Oh, the band? No, at Petco,
1: (laughs) Trent made friends with him. He was looking for uh for kibble for his doggos. And this guy walks up, he's like, hey, you like exotic birds?
0: <laughs> Trent and was I like, mean... not since I left the band. <laughs> and he's like, no, I mean like parakeets. <laughs> he's like, no, parakeets are cool. Yeah, Oh, cool. okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe cockatiel. Okay. That's exotic. Yeah.
1: So John shopped the demo around until he finally got an offer from a label called TVT Records. Trent then reworked the songs off the demo, as well as creating some new tunes to put on the debut album. He worked with a few talented producers for this, including an idol of his, Mark Ellis, not related to you. No
0: relation to me. Better known
1: as Flood. (laughs) Definitely no relation to me. (laughs) He has worked with the likes of U2, New Order, Depeche Mode, among others. So he's
0: made a name for himself. That's a good roster of electronic bands. Right? Like,
1: that's, that's totally up Trent's alley. While the synth sound was popular... They initially felt that the songs were a little too upbeat and wanted to go for a more dark and raw sound. So they discussed getting real drums on the tracks, but ultimately everyone agreed it sounded better with the drum machine and samples. Mm -hmm. And this is where I can really relate to Trent, because Trent's like, I fucking can't drum. Please don't give me a drum. (laughs) I have zero beats in this body. I mean, he's never said it, but the fact that he doesn't ever play drums leads me to believe homeboy is like me and it's like oh please don't sit me in front of a drum i'm gonna have a panic attack. i cannot do that you want me
0: to clap and stomp my foot at the same time no it's it's, not gonna happen it's not happening i'm
1: sorry there have been a few times where trent will play drums once in a while but it's minimal yeah the resulting album was called pretty hate machine a withdrawn and claustrophobic album reflective of the way trent was feeling at the time because he was constantly working He began to have trouble functioning in society as one normally would.
0: Mm -hmm. He's already
1: kind of an introvert. And then he's pretty much like stopped having a social life because it's like I work all day and then I work all night. And
0: then he's traumatized by cleaning toilets. He's fucking
1: cleaning toilets. Yeah. Home Dog was like, "I, I can't do
0: it. Yeah.
1: While everyone who worked on it loved the outcome, the label hated it. They wanted the brighter synth sounds that were in the demo. They told Trent point blank, you ruined this album.
0: What label was this?
1: TVT Records, who were more known for doing work with like commercial products.
0: And, yeah. Like, TV soundtracks. But like when you met Trent Reznor, what did you think was going to happen? We just thought he was an eccentric. <laughs> we thought he was going to make like a David Bowie album. Yeah, like, he's No No. <sighs>
1: However, critics seem to have the hardest time properly categorizing this work. When I was reading through the reviews, they were calling it anything from rock to synth pop to dance. They were like, I don't fucking know what this is. This was something no one had really heard before. Where and they is, weren't really sure what to do with it. Where
0: is that one journalist that gets it right and coins a new term? Because there's always that. I don't know. Some asshole. I'm sure they're from any enemy, though. Probably. Or Kerrang. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh,
1: you know what? I bet it was Kerrang.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But either way, it was a fucking bop, to be sure. Mm-hmm. One of the bops that I had previously mentioned down in it actually ended up having a pretty silly story attached to it with the music video. So they didn't have much of a budget, so they kind of had to... They brought in a couple uh, directors, but, like, they mostly did everything pretty low budget.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And they were, like, carrying these camcorders around and the premise is that Trent is running around from these two guys who are actually um, band members, Chris, Vrenna and Richard Patrick Mm -hmm. and they're chasing him through like an industrial park and like they're running through warehouses and he gets on this roof and, and it ends with him falling from the building and lying dead on the ground but in order to catch that shot they had to like put balloons on the camera to like have it lift up and they had to attach ropes to the pull camera. It back down? Yes, they could pull it back down. Well,
0: the ropes detached and the camera just flew away. This just sounds like a harebrained scheme on a cartoon. <laughs> it is. Like, this shit doesn't actually work in real life, oh, guys. Oh, but just wait. Well, they still managed to get the end shot. But then
1: later <laughs> on, what ha- happened was the camera... Basically landed in some farmer's land. Oh, no. And he found it in Michigan. And he found it, and he's like, oh, this might be the FBI looking for weed fields.
0: What? Like yeah. They fields. just attach cameras to, to balloons, balloons. <laughs> and just go, okay, find it. <laughs> find the marijuana. And with absolutely no way of trying to track the camera. So then the this FBI farmer gives brilliant. it to the FBI. The FBI sees it and
1: <laughs> thinks it's murder. It's the snuff what? film. Because- it was Trent dead on the ground, and they yeah. like covered him in like corn syrup and all this stuff yeah. to make him look super dead. So they're like, "We found a snuff film," and like they eventually tracked it down to like Trent and like the whole group, and they're like grilling them real hard, like, "Who did you kill?" And Trent's like, "Hi, I'm right here. I'm fine." And they're like, "Never mind then." <laughs> but like, I love it. I'm like, that's the most ridiculous story I think I've ever heard. That is life. hilarious. Overall, Pretty Hate Machine was well-received, and he toured it with a consistent band, alongside acts like Jesus and the Mary Chain, as well as gaining a spot on the 1991 Lollapalooza tour, which I think was the first one. I was going to say,
0: is that the inaugural inaugural. Inaugural
1: Lollapalooza? Inaugural Palooza. (laughs) Despite the success Nine Inch Nails was beginning to see with this release, it seems that Trent was having issues adjusting to a life of fame. Fan base was growing, and many, including the label, were wondering, when are you going to be releasing your next record?
0: When did he release that first one? So
1: Pretty Hate Machine was 89. Okay, that's what I thought.
0: And this was before grunge was grunge. Right, like, I think it was happening simultaneously. I mean, the, the grunge was baby.
1: Yeah, although some critics tried to be like... I mean, like lyrically, he's not really bringing anything new to the table because grunge is already doing this. No, pretty sure you're wrong.
0: <laughs> but whatever. Well, I think they meant.
1: I think that was a review from the EP that's coming out next that I'll get to.
0: Oh, okay. But yeah, because yeah, at were... that point, Nirvana had kind of come on the scene. It would be '91. Yeah. Um, and then Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were making noise right. around then. But I, I still don't think they're comparable. I don't, I don't think they're comparable at all. But I think they both invoke that feeling that I'm sure Gen Xers were feeling that's at the time. Super early, late '80s, super early '90s. Like I'm fucking frustrated because, like, the and '80s were life bullshit. sucks. <laughs> yeah, and Reagan we, was bullshit, and we have nothing to live for. Kind of bullshit. Yeah, pretty so. much. There was massive
1: amounts of pressure from TVT to not only make the next record, but how to make the next record.
0: They were trying to tell him oh, how it should sound. please tell me. How, right? how should I do my job?
1: Like, everything.
0: Tell me how to do my job, you assholes. <laughs> right. And if we've learned anything about Trent at
1: this point, it's that he does not like someone else putting their dirty fingers all over his creative process. Yeah. So, that wasn't going to be cool. He began to fall into a deeper pit of misery and depression. After a pretty terrible experience opening for Guns N' Roses. Oh, no. Yeah. On a tour for a few of their shows. No. Yeah. Trent was at his wits end and wanted out of his contract. Like, it was a terrible, like, I don't know. Who thought that would be a good idea? Yeah, I forgot whose idea it was because I was reading about it and I was watching a video about it. But it was fucking terrible. Like... They were booed at. I mean, think about Guns N' Roses fans. They're
0: assholes. Think about Pretty Hate still, Machine. Still, Guns yeah, N' Roses still ha- fans are still assholes. Sorry, guys. You're assholes. <laughs> Maybe you're not.
1: You know what? Let us know if you're one of those not asshole Guns N' Roses fans. But yeah, overall, um, it was a bad experience. People were like booing them and throwing shit at them. And they're like, we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Can I go back with Jesus and the Mary Chain? I think that
0: works better. I want to go home. I want to go home, guys.
1: <laughs> TVT wouldn't hear anything about Trent leaving his contract. And so began a sneak around where he would record music under different pseudonyms and at different places so the label wouldn't be wise to what he was doing. Mm. And while this was going on, his manager, John, was working to move Nine Inch Nails to a better label situation.
0: I like this manager. Right? He learned a lot working at PetSmart. (laughs) (laughs) He learned a lot from Exotic Birds. I mean, who didn't?
1: (laughs) Ultimately, he got the band, moved to Interscope Records, when Jimmy Iovine managed to buy out Trent's contract from TVT, and then gave him his own label within um, Interscope. Interscope called Nothing Records. Yes. Initially, Trent felt like he was involved in some kind of backdoor deal since he really had no say in what was going on. And he's like, did I just get like traded to another fucking company that's going to make me tell me what to do? Dude,
0: they gave you your own
1: sub label. He just didn't know what was going on. But he was relieved after talking to Jimmy and discovering that he wanted nothing for Trent but to have creative freedom. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Iovine is... He's an interesting, interesting man. Yes. But like credit where credit's due, he knows talent when he sees it and he is very much willing to let it flourish. Yeah. I'm
0: not sure on the details, but I know he's done some super shady bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's probably a lot like Tommy Matola, in the sense that Tommy Matola was a fucking shithead of a human being and a horrible person and an abuser but musically, he did amazing things for people's careers. Mm. I don't know so. if he's,
1: I don't, I wouldn't say, I don't get the feeling of abuser from Jimmy
0: Iovine. Yeah, no, I, but Tommy, I, I, I don't know. I bet he's
1: got like that slime
0: bucket yeah. you gotta I don't, have
1: to be a fucking manager of yeah. a record label.
0: I don't know how deep it goes with Jimmy Iovine, but I know how deep it goes with Tommy Misola. Right. Well, I will say
1: I I actually learned some stuff about Nine Inch Nails from the Defiant Ones documentary on HBO, and that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, and it does give you an idea of who Jimmy Iovine is, and yeah, it's interesting.
0: But I mean, he's the head of a record label. Yeah, so I mean, he's at gonna, the end of the day, he's going to do
1: gross shit. Oh yeah, and so it was under Nothing Records where he released his first EP, Broken. It contains eight tracks and was once again produced by Flood. At the time, Trent was going through a tough breakup, and he was worn thin from dealing with record label BS, feared that success would have been seen as selling out, and overall was just exhausted from anxiety and depression. The music and any art accompanying it would put the despair and tortured soul of this man on display. Huh. Yeah. Like, broken? And you do a deep dive, you're like, shit, this man is not happy. Something
0: is wrong. Yeah. And he needs help. He needs a hug or 50. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe an ice cream sandwich. And it's um, funny,
1: as a kid, I didn't appreciate Broken that much. I didn't really like Broken. And now as an adult, I definitely really like Broken, actually.
0: Full disclosure, never heard of it.
1: It's really good. Um, You <laughs> probably know Wish, because Wish came off of Broken.
0: I don't recognize the name, but... If you heard name, it,
1: you would probably be like, oh, I know yeah, this. I'm
0: just, I'm full stop, just a casual nine inch nails right fan. i'm I've never taken a deep dive or anything I love the fragile yeah. I like the downward spiral I really liked with teeth and that's pretty much all I've really gotten like super into so yeah I think that's like pretty on par for most people yeah yeah
1: but uh if you heard wish you might know it just because that's one of the ones that became a pretty popular single for him mm-hmm But anyway, so Broken really loses the sound of synths and is much harder than what came before. The lyrics are critique on society, mostly shouted by Trent, in a showcase (laughs) of him shedding any shield he had on before so you can experience his true angst. Like, holy shit, this man is hurting. It's clearly a stepping stone for what's going to come next. Like, if you listen to... Pretty hate machine broken and downward spiral back, it all to, back makes sense. to back. You're like, yeah, this checks.
0: <laughs> oh this no. This is taking
1: me on a journey that I'm, I don't know if I consented to go on. I I don't think I was ready for it. For an EP, this album ended up impressing critics and fans alike, going platinum only three months after its release what? in September 92, right? It's an EP. An EP went platinum? Y'all, this is barely an EP though. I think it's only an EP cause length, but there are eight songs on it. the last two are covers. One is You're So Physical, which is a cover of an Adam and the Ants song.
0: Oh!
1: It's really funny.
0: I love Adam and the Ants.
1: I know you do. I thought you'd appreciate that. You
0: should listen to Broken. I should. Maybe that will end up on a Best Covers episode. It might. (laughs) It's very very Nine Inch Nails. Mm.
1: (laughs) And like I said, it produced the Nine Inch Nails staple with the song Wish, which won him a Grammy for Best Heavy Metal Performance.
0: Oh, you mean they didn't give it to Jethro
1: Tull? Yeah, not that year. But it's the 90s, and controversial music is gonna controversy. Instead of the typical music video for a single, Nine Inch Nails instead created a short horror musical film for Broken. It's... Um... Gruesome. Really? And many thought it was a real snuff film.
0: What? (laughs) So Uh.
1: there is, um... It excludes one of the songs and the two covers, but basically for the entire album of Broken, they do like a video. Okay. So at this point, Trent wanted to avoid the possibility of becoming a radio-friendly unit shifter and did so by creating this movie. He hired Peter Christofferson of the group's Coil and Throbbing Gristle (laughs) to direct the film. Both, Sounds like, performance delightful. already, like, out-there fucking bands. Basically, it is about 20 minutes and tells the, quote-unquote, story? Okay. <laughs> of a man being kidnapped off the streets. He is tortured and forced to watch films of torture and mutilation until the same fate befalls him. And it's filmed, like, very realistically. Uh-huh. Um, the most banned video out of this would be Happiness and Slavery, which features Bob Falanigan. Falanigan. Bob Falanigan.
0: Sounds dirty.
1: <laughs> well, he's an infamous sadomasochist performance artist. Sounds dirty. He, oh, yeah. <laughs> y'all, for reals. Um, In the video, he's naked on a table and he is being pleasured and then murdered by a machine. Huh. And you see. So I heard a lot about this video. And I've always been like, Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch... Fuck, all right. I'm going to watch some of it. And I watch... Oh, it's hard. It's it's a lot. So, like I said, it's like the story of a guy who picks up a guy on the streets and brings him into a, like a Saw-type torture room. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is way before Saw or anything creepy like that. Right. Like, this is way before Eli Roth. Like, these motherfuckers were clearly inspired by Broken. And mm-hmm. it's, like, very... It's, it's basically filmed with a home video camera. Like a
0: 35 millimeter. Yeah, so,
1: like... The torture that the dude is doing on the kid in the chair and then he'll, like, pull out his teeth and then make him watch a video and, like, it'll be one of the songs. Uh Um, Wish is fine. Wish is, like, actually just the band performing, like, in, like, a Mad Max-style Thunderdome and then, like, being taken over by the maddening group at the end. Okay. Um, But then, like, yeah, Happiness and Slavery, like, they all look polished. They look... Like, kind of like a horror movie, like, like a uh-huh. torture porn horror movie you'd see nowadays. Okay. But then, like, you'll go back to the actual, like, you know, footage of someone being, like, tortured and killed. Uh-huh. And that shit, I'm like, and I'm not watching anymore. <laughs> there's like, chainsaws. There's gut. Oh, fuck out. chainsaws. Like, there's... I can handle
0: whatever. Just do not. Oh, no. There's a chainsaw. No. Yeah. And there's, like, just cannibalism. That is the it's worst. really fucked up. Is it. Is it any worse than, like, um, what was that series? Uh, it's not Visions of Death. Oh, oh, yes. Fucking. It's along those lines. Okay. The Many Faces of Death? Faces of Death. Faces yes. of Death. Yeah, it's um, along those lines. Like, people have compared it to I that. But, I mean, I've seen Faces of Death, and I'm like, half this shit's fake anyway, and the other half is like, meh. Well, you know me. I have a hard time with body gore. I kind of don't, and that makes me scared for myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, I really don't <laughs> You actually
1: could probably watch it and be fine I just have a hard time because I don't like body gore Yeah Like
0: I don't mind it in a slasher film because it's the super only, fake The only thing that like weirds me out is like sexual stuff that's involved That's yeah, like mixed I don't, in with the Happiness gore then, and, and slavery like, mm, would freak you out I don't like this because this gives is. me weird You see
1: everything This
0: gives me weird feelings and I don't like it
1: Yeah men wouldn't like watching happiness and slavery either Ooh, They do some things to those cast- dick and balls
0: Oh Come on, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I-, I will say, for what it's worth, Bob Flanagan Phan- sounds like an interesting human being. He has since passed away. but oh. He had cyst- cystic fibrosis.
0: Oh. Ooh, right. that sucks.
1: But also was like a sadomasochist performance artist.
0: So maybe he liked having cystic fibrosis? I don't know. <laughs> Is that how that works? I don't think so. I don't get it, but, you know. He mostly just fucked
1: with his dick and balls. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, yeah, no, that
1: hurts. Yeah. All right. So you can watch Broken, just don't watch Happiness and Slavery. All right. All right. So when the film was finished, both Trent and Peter watched it and realized
0: maybe they went a little <laughs> far. Maybe. Maybe. And like maybe we shouldn't release this.
1: We're not going to release. It. No, we're not going to do this. No, we're not going to do it.
0: So it truly became a snuff film. In a way, it really yeah, did. Like they were like, I don't want to watch this. This is like shit you'd
1: see on Rotten. Com. Like I can't. <laughs> And yes, they wanted to create something that was really
0: scary, that felt real, but
1: this was a little must.
0: So basically the only ti- the only place you can get this now is probably on the dark web. Oh, I ease I just like Did you just
1: YouTube it? Um, you can't YouTube it, but I went incognito on Google just in case. <laughs> and I just Googled um broken nine inch nails film and there was an article from uh it might have been Crang. <laughs>
0: That makes sense, because they're probably just like, nah, fuck it, British internet, we can can show all that shit. They post
1: it right out there. And actually, even Trent Reznor said like he just wants to post it on Vivo and be like, whatever, now everybody can fucking watch it, I don't care anymore. Like, it's 2020, it's a little different. Also, America,
0: get over it. Get over the dick and balls, get over the weird gore. Just don't watch it. If you don't want to watch watch it, it, then don't watch it. um, it was funny, though, because even
1: though they're like, we're not going to show it to people, you know, like we're not going to release it. Trent's like, I'll still make some copies and circulate with my friends. <laughs> and it to totally it to got leaked. <laughs> and it was funny as he like put a certain like marker on each of the films mm-hmm. so that he would know who leaked the video. <laughs> he didn't do anything about it, but he was like, I just want to know who did it. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. But yeah, um, it's fucked up. If you're very curious like I am, just kind of bloop bloop through
0: it it's fine open that incognito tab
1: yeah i don't think you have to i just didn't know what would <laughs> but happen but if you don't
0: want like your mom knowing yeah if you don't want your mom to know definitely yeah. incognito if you don't want your mom to see it go go oh, incognito mom should not see this no don't leave that up on your web browser don't show this to your mother yeah don't yeah. don't say hi leave- to your mother for me but do not show her this video hey hey say hi to your mother for me but do not show her this video <laughs> During the creation
1: of Broken, Trent was in the market to create a new studio space. Mm. And one near his new label in L.A. would be pretty helpful. It would be. So he ended up moving into a home at 150 Cielo
0: Drive in Los Angeles. Um, that sounds familiar. Cielo Drive. Is that the Sharon Tate house? Oh, it is the Sharon Tate house,
1: the former home of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. The Did he location know that? where Charles Manson and his followers began to end the summer of love with the murder of Sharon Tate and her four companions?
0: That's the Heelter Skelter house. It is the Heelter Skelter house. Heelter <laughs> Skelter, heelter. I think I thought they were. No, only I thought it was Heelter Skelter. <laughs> idiot, either
1: way, either way. So I have read several articles on this and some say that Trent didn't know. And then some don't really say whether he knew or not. And then some say he like found out right after he bought it. Oh, he bought it. Oh, he bought it. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, He was at a pretty low point at this point. And uh, just becoming all consuming with anything dark and filled with symbolism of society breaking down. He wanted to use this house as a way to explore humanity's obsession with the moralist parts of society.
0: You know, like serial killers and true crime. So that makes me think he did know. He knew, I don't know if he knew before
1: buying it or if he knew after buying it and just embraced it. Okay. But either way, like he did
0: embrace initially Uh being in this home. Yeah. Also, if you're really into like ghosty shit, there's a really great episode of Ghost Hunters where they investigated this house and it will make you shit your pants. Shit your pants! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. it's a really, really good episode. Well, he was definitely
1: into it because he dubbed it Le Pig. Yeah. That's what he called the studio. And it was here that he wrote and recorded a majority of Broken and its follow-up, The Downward Spiral. And he would end up completing the ladder at a different location, though, because he had a come-to-Jesus moment with Sharon Tate's sister. Oh. Yeah, it was a chance meeting one day, very brief encounter, but she asked him if he was exploiting her sister's death by living there. And this took Trent back. He told her that wasn't his intention at all, but once someone actually made him think about it.
0: like. Wait, how the fuck did they meet though? Like, did I don't she know, know that details. he bought? Yes, she knew that he yeah. bought. I don't
1: know house. if she just came to his place and like was like, "Yo, we need to talk." I don't know the total details behind how they ended up meeting up, but Trent talks about this meeting.
0: Okay, and he talks
1: about how he never even thought about any of this about the, how it would affect her family, mm-hmm. how it looks for him to live there. Um. You know, once someone actually made him think about what he was doing, he realized how fucking messed up it was. He moved out in 1993 and in 1994, new owners bought the house and tore it down. So...
0: Wait, they tore it down? I heard it
1: was torn down.
0: I don't think it was torn down. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it was not torn down. I'll have to read.
1: I don't know. Like, the sources I found, like, a lot of
0: the articles said somebody tore it down, but... Because I'm pretty sure in the episode of Ghost Hunters, it was still the original house. Or was it the La Bianca house? Oh, maybe it was the La Bianca house. Yeah. Wait, what was the La Bianca house? That was right
1: after the Tate murders. They were like, "Let's do this again," and they went to um, the rich oh. people, the La Biancas, no. and it was the husband and the wife. No, that it was, was definitely
0: up. the uh, Sharon Tate house. Hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe they renovated it and maybe like tore some of it down and renovated. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was the original house in that episode. Because it was fucked up. Yo, I don't know shit about haunted houses, so I will not speak to that.
1: (laughs) As he was leaving that situation, Nine Inch Nails' fame rose to its peak. March 94 saw the release of The Downward Spiral, which is still their most commercially successful release to this day. Mm -hmm. A concept album that explains The Downward Spiral of a man who is dealing with depression and addiction and ultimately kills himself in a search for a sense of peace. I never really realized how insanely depressing this album was. Oh, no, wait, yes, I did. I've always known how depressing this album is. If you catch me listening to Downward Spiral, you know know I need a hug. (laughs) Two major records were cited as influences for this album. David Bowie's Low, of course, and Pink Floyd's The Wall both of which deal with similar issues of drug dependence and deep personal issues. All three very much represent a mood. <laughs> I am going to say that mood probably deals mood. with helplessness, frustration, apathy. Someone
0: I kind knows. of feel like all of us have been slowly, like very, very slowly listening through all of the downward spiral for the last four years. yeah. Yeah. It's finally kind of sort of ended, but now we're just feeling like dejected and f- no energy whatsoever. And we're yeah. just like, fine. <laughs> That's the actual ending of the oh downward my. spiral. All right. Uh, <sighs> fine. <laughs> All right, guys. I did it. I guess we're on to the next album. Well, not so fast. <laughs> Many in
1: Trent's life suggested that he go on Prozac during this time. They were concerned about the dark place he was in. He outright refused for fear that antidepressants will take away his ability to write music the way he wanted it to sound. I
0: get why you saying that.
1: But also... Because you young. But
0: also, maybe
1: you should rethink that. Like, again, if you really listen through Downward Spiral, like some of those fucking songs. Yeah.
0: But also, Woof. I get that drugs are not for everybody. I get right. it. Right. Nope. Totally get that. Look at your life. Look at your choices.
1: But it's also okay to let something help you out for a little bit if you need mm-hmm. just a little boost for a hot second. Sure it's is. Fine. Serotonin's valuable. This also turned into more alcohol and drug use and conflicts with band members.
0: Oh. Yeah. Drugs? Conflict? What? That I never happens. Know. Right. Guitarists
1: Richard Patrick and Trent would have difficulty getting along which would eventually lead to Richard leaving to start his own band, Filter.
0: Oh. Yep. Filter and Stabbing Westward. Wow. (laughs) Wowie. Wow. Wow. Wowie. Zowie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like all three electronic bands from the nineties in one episode. Weird. (laughs) Don't get it. For the
1: first time, Trent came into creating an album with nothing written out beforehand. He would go into the studio every day and make up music based on feeling. The band would assist in arrangements and they would have samples based on each part. He would then process them to the point of total expression. So it didn't sound like music. It sounded more like a feeling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, listening to a downward spiral. I can't no. tell what the fucking instruments are. I can just tell like despair and holy shit everything's on fire.
0: Um Closer was on downwards Spiral, correct? correct. Mm-hmm. And God, that was a huge hit.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay. Don't you don't you worry. Okay. We're gonna talk about that song. Flood came back to help produce this album, but it would be the last time. He and Trent began to have unresolvable creative differences. Mostly it seems that Trent had just gone into such a dark place that most of the time Flood just found like, yo, you to- you're going too far, my
0: dude. But also us Ellis's don't know how to react to things like that. <laughs> As an Ellis, I can You're not being <laughs> speak. stoic enough, Trent. The fuck. You're being too feelings right now, and I need you to not be so feelings. I need you to be less feel- feelings right now. Le- less feelings is better. Yeah. I don't, I, can't I don't do not process emotions. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Despite all this heavy content, the album was apparently what everyone was looking for. It mm-hmm. debuted at number two on the Billboard charts and in 1998 was declared quadruple platinum. Wow. yep, Critics praised its abrasive sound and unrelenting subject matter. All right. So now we can talk about Closer. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody, undo your belt buckles. We're going to talk about Closer. It's it's time for Closer. It's a song you all know Nine Inch Nails for. Yep. I don't even need to say that. The fuck you like an animal song, if you will. Mm -hmm. And Trent hates that this has become a fuckboy frat anthem.
0: You even have I hate it too, so I'm there
1: with you, Trent. Well, you even have D-bags like Tommy Lee talking about it being the all-time fuck
0: song. Oh, fuck Tommy Lee. He's like, oh, come on, I want to fuck you like an animal. Trent knew what he was doing. Way to, like, not even try to dig below the surface with this song. Good job, Tommy Lee. Don't expect anything else from you. Well, it checks. Let's just say that. Yeah. The truth is, it's deeper and sadder
1: than that. Yeah. It's about self-hatred and obsession. It's about someone who is using sex to save themselves from isolation. And
0: you can 100% hear that in the lyrics, in the vocal delivery. Yeah. like Help me get away from myself. Yeah. Like, this is not somebody who is writing a song about, like, carnal lust for a beautiful woman. It's, I want to fuck something so I don't have to deal with what's going inside of my head. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 100% um they're hoping sex will give them control in at least one aspect exactly. of their life but now when i say that and you go back to the fuck boy frat anthem you're like oh never mind this checks yeah maybe this is accurate yeah maybe that's why it's a fuck boy anthem yeah because fuck all boys, fuck boys got is like sex fuck boys want to fuck that's all they got yeah of course this is perfect for tommy lee i am i would
0: hope he's full of self-loathing that makes me so sad for fuck boys <laughs> No, it doesn't. But, like, it does, because it's like, <laughs> I already felt sad for you. Not bad for you, but I, I pity you already. Okay, pity's fine. So, like, I pity you more if you think that this is your anthem. To fuck to. To fuck to. So, cool. Yeah. Woof.
1: The song certainly scared her parents, considering he screams fuck right in the open. <laughs> fuck. And her
0: parents are like, oh, my. What are you listening to in here? <sighs>
1: Jesus. <laughs> and the music video needed to be censored due to explicit content. Oh, my stars. I mean, but if you even watch the video, you should feel more uneasy than sexy about it.
0: Yeah. Like, aren't there pigs heads and shit? In yeah. There? And yeah. like, yeah, there's
1: a naked chick, but she's basically like bald and like holding this. Like She's
0: not attractive. She's unnerving.
1: Right. She's not there to be like, yeah, yeah your dick hard yet. She's yeah. there to be like, I'm going to rip your dick off. Yeah, like holding her, a fucking cow skull on top of her. Like
0: her nakedness is not there for your arousal. It's to make you uncomfortable. Yes. There's a monkey that hanging on a cross. This entire video and song are just here to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Not make you want to fuck Tommy Lee.
1: Although my favorite part is like there's just Trent standing with a seashell in his hand and you're like why are you standing
0: with this what is why represent? not? Nothing. Why He's not? So stoic about it like did you see my seashell? This is my favorite one of my collection. I've got an entire collection. Would you like to see it? This is my pastime. I go to beaches and collect seashells. This is my favorite one. <laughs>
1: That's kind of what it feels like. <laughs>
0: Oh, Trent! I found a whole intact sea sand dollar once. <laughs> Not even a scratch on it.
1: <laughs> if you shake it, you can hear the sand <laughs> and the dollars. That was a joke. There's no dollar in a sand dollar. <laughs> 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 it's gone to a dark place with seashells, guys. This is rock bottom. <laughs> Hi, it's Shellbottom. <laughs> I'll leave now. Bye. <laughs> Another song to bring about controversy was Big Man with a Gun, which somehow got flagged by conservative Christians as an attack on U.S. conservatives by claiming that it was a metaphor that they were having some jingoistic agenda.
0: I want to rip my brain out of my skull.
1: Because it's during the whole like censor thing and like Tupac and Snoop and they're all on Interscope and everybody was on Interscope at this point. The conservatives are just trying to find a reason because they're, I don't know, trying to shut Interscope down. I don't even know. But they're like, did you hear Big Man with a Gun? This is clearly accusing us of being jingoistic with our wars and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, actually, this is one of the few songs that's... Nah, this is about fucking.
0: <laughs> this actually, time it's actually about actually, fucking. It is,
1: but it's, it's still a negative song about fucking. Because it's basically... He's basically making fun of, like, big men. You know, I'm a big man. And I have a big dick. And I'm going to fuck you with it. Uh-huh. And, like, it's kind of making fun of that gross, toxic male culture. It's making fun of rape culture. Mm-hmm. It's like... But it is actually about fucking. <laughs> so like this time it is. Sorry, Conserve. But also isn't that telling that conservatives are
0: like, hey, they're making fun of us, and it's like, aren't we though? Aren't we? I also think it's funny that any time a musician comes out with a song that actually is about a gun being used like as a weapon around this time, especially with people like Tupac and Biggie, and people who actually owned guns mm-hmm. and are. <sighs> unfortunately synonymous with guns Mm -hmm. whenever that made the news all of these white conservatives are like "Mm, gun control Mm, they shouldn't have guns why are they shooting off their guns they shouldn't have guns but now the same fucking people are out there like don't take one my guns i have an american right to it's in the constitution i have a right to have a gun well it's because they're white and they don't like black people yeah. Yeah, I said it. Fight me. No, I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to agree with you on that. Cool. I like that. <laughs> Several months after the
1: downward spiral is released, Nine Inch Nails performs at the lame attempt of Woodstock 2, Woodstock 94.
0: Oh, oh yeah, that was bad. Still not as bad as Woodstock 99. No, not at all, but also not great. Not
1: great. That solidified them as a mainstay, at least as far as rock music goes, and skyrocketed them into popularity. Trent felt the pressure to perform from all sides, to create a follow-up that would hit this level of success again. He began to fall deeper into addiction, just in time to do an intense amount of touring. Cool! Yeah. But This always
0: goes over well.
1: (laughs) Right? Right? So began the self-destruct tour. Yeah.
0: Absolutely named. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, that's the actual name of it. Yeah. No, oh, I'm okay. not even lying.
1: It's called this because they have the song on "Downward Spiral." Mister Mister Self Destruct. It's like he's fucking psychic. I know. The band didn't want to lose their edge just because they've gone mainstream, so they would perform on stage in filthy, ragged clothes covered in cornstarch because they just wanted to look weird and dirty. But I imagine the cornstarch would stop you from sweating too much. It certainly absorbed everything. Seriously, that ain't bad. Someone would injure themselves nearly every night, either by attacking each other or their instruments or diving into a crowd.
0: But honestly, this makes sense because, like, the the nine-inch nails that I have in my head on stage looked like ragged pieces of shit that somebody just dug up out of the ground and then tossed a shit ton of baby powder on. Yeah, and that's what they looked like in the 90s. Yeah, that's my image of a performing Nine Inch Nails. Yep, that's accurate. Trent
1: would get himself into some really extreme antics alongside Marilyn Manson, who he had signed to the Nothing Records label a few years prior. No. Which you would hear us talk about in the Marilyn Am- Manson episode but and I'm not
0: really going to talk about him on this and some bonus episodes yeah so if you, so you, you want to if if give us some patreon monies you can listen to us bitch about that look at us for advertising <laughs> they would engage in some drug and alcohol infused shit
1: shows mm-hmm. when off the stage I don't know anything about it in detail but I heard something about a backstage enema contest
0: I don't know anything other than backstage at of contest. certainly can help you with your mental state. Obviously. I don't think it will. No, it's oh, not. Uh, shoving shit up your I mean, ass At least it's he's not, not in the help studio
1: you. right now. I guess. With the pressure of having to record. He's like, well, fuck. At least I get to be high and drunk all the time. <laughs> and release all
0: right. really solve my stress with a buttload of enemas. <laughs> ah, buttload enemas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This tour went on from 1994 until 1996,
0: just about two years. Jesus. Yeah. Two years yeah. on a bus with Marilyn Manson. Oh, I mean, Marilyn Manson wasn't on every leg of the tour.
1: He was just on some legs.
0: He's you know, on I some legs. legs. <laughs> He's only on two <laughs> legs. Oh, still. That's so, too many
1: legs. Yeah. Well, they were buds at that point. It was fine.
0: They were buds at that point? Buds. Oh. Buddies. Okay.
1: There was a lot of international traveling and the burnout was real, but in the middle of things, Trent was surprised with an opportunity to work with someone he's idolized for most of his life. Thanks to the popularity of the music video for Closer, it caught the eye of David Bowie, who didn't think much of Nine Inch Nails before, but now he was seeing the true depth and potential
0: of Trent Reznor. David Bowie knew what's up. He He really did. He called it Henry Rollins' What's Up Hotline. You know, honestly Henry Rollins called him sometimes. It was like,
1: "I need news for my What's Up Hotline.
0: <laughs> I need shit to tell people."
1: Well, Henry, give me I, some news. I think I know something about this band, they're called 9-inch Nails. They have this video closer. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm willing to give them a chance. All I right, think- cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye. <Hi. laughs> when he called up 9-inch Nails management, they were initially hesitant as the band was wiped out. But when Bowie calls, you fucking answer. Yeah. So they agreed to tour with Bowie for six weeks in support of his outside tour. And I think ultimately ended up being a little over two months Hmm.
0: because it was fun. Yay.
1: The whole thing was a surreal experience. Arguably at the time, Nine Inch Nails were outselling Bowie, but Trent said there was no way in hell he would ever open for them. Right. He's like, nope, we open for Bowie. Bowie was working on a more artistic set at the time with some stuff from the Berlin Trilogy and newer material. So they worked together to create a comprehensive show that combined the talents of both bands and Mm -hmm. made for one hell of an experience. You can Google a lot of the performances and they do a fucking amazing job. They basically end up doing a show where it's like they perform with each other for like half the show. Mm Mm-hmm. So that way, like, Nine Inch Nails fans are happy, Bowie fans are happy.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of times when there's a co-headlining show where you never get the two of them on stage at the same time. And that's, like, what everyone jizzes themselves over. Oh, my God. As if they come out on stage at the same time and even do one song that's, like, a cover of somebody else's song. That's when people just jizz all over that arena. I mean, honestly. And I think
1: it was, like, Nine Inch Nails would perform, Bowie would perform, they perform together and I think Bowie would close it. That um, makes sense. Yeah. But honestly, if I'm going to tell you to look up anything from this, fucking pause this shit. You need to go on YouTube and look up David Bowie, Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Oh, their God. rendition oh, God. of Hurt is amazing. You know what? I'm going to say it. Better than Johnny Cash's version.
0: Yeah. I mean, Johnny Cash's version, I feel like was only emotional because he was old it, and dying he was he like died right after yeah. they released it so. and it was right
1: after um june carter died mm-hmm. yeah like his was more of a circumstantial why it was good yeah. i mean it was good don't it was get me so wrong.
0: good but i mean everybody jizzes their pants over because like i'm gonna be old someday but also <laughs> just <laughs> but also the the nine inch nails original version was fucking gut-wrenching because so. here's the thing it's about a
1: man who cannot quit his heroin addiction and decides to kill himself. Yeah. That's what fucking hurt is about. Was Trent on heroin at this time? I he was- am hesitant to say we are zero days without heroin incident, but everything I've read, I haven't heard him outright say during these times that he was doing heroin. I think yeah. it was mostly cocaine and alcohol.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: He didn't strike me as a heroin guy. i know I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. If someone knows, please tell me. I'm f- more than happy to learn.
0: I feel like everyone knew he had a very well-documented drug addiction, mm-hmm. and I think people always just lumped him in with the other heroin users right. just because it was of the time. Yeah. So I can't really tell one way or the other if it was heroin or just- I'm not sure. Lesser It was definitely stuff. cocaine, and it was definitely alcohol. Yeah.
1: So, those were definitely in there. But back to the tour. So, the, tw- the two got on well, on and off stage. They were musicians who both felt the need to express their art in strange ways that not everyone was going to get. And they don't compromise for mainstream success, either. It was easy for them to understand each other. Considering everything that Bowie had gone through in his lifetime, he could see exactly where Trent was right yeah. now. Yeah, Experiencing the out-of-nowhere fame... Social anxieties, depression, addiction. He'd experienced all oh, that before. Probably two times over at that point. Yeah. I mean milk and peppers, all I gotta say. Ew. Yeah, there was a time where uh, Bowie's cocaine addiction was so bad all he would consume
0: is milk and peppers. That is truly fucking disgusting. Right? Mostly Why? the milk. Mostly the milk. Like, really, I'm fine the with the peppers. Peppers I can understand, but like milk? Really? Yeah. That's disgusting. Oh. At times, they would be alone, and
1: Bowie would give Trent gentle pieces of advice without... Condescension. Condescension. Thank you. (laughs) You know I wasn't going to say it right. One that particularly stuck was, quote, you know, there is a better way here, and it doesn't have to end in despair or in death in the bottom. While Trent wasn't anywhere near trying to get better, he appreciated the way Bowie addressed the issue. Years down the line, it would prove useful. And... Trent would contribute him getting clean to Bowie. Yeah. Or he would contribute Bowie to him getting clean. That's it. That's how you say that. But no, the point he would is,
0: contribute yeah. him getting clean to David Bowie.
1: Irregardless. <laughs> Same diff. We know what you mean. Yes. So, God damn it, David Bowie is a fucking treasure. But until then, homeboy's still going to be a mess. Yeah. Even still, Nine Inch Nails was beginning to get more and more collaborations with established types. Of course, he and Bowie couldn't tour and not do a song together. Right. And so came I'm Afraid of Americans, which would end up... I'm
0: Afraid of Americans.
1: Sorry. I'm afraid of the world. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't help it. That's a great fucking song, by the way. It would end up on Bowie's 1997 album, Earthling. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only David that Trent would find himself working with in the late 90s. He worked with David Lynch on the soundtrack for his film Lost Highway. Ah. Yes. He created instrumentals for certain scenes, and most importantly, he wrote a song for the soundtrack, and probably the second jam Nine Inch Nails is known for, mm-hmm. The Perfect Drug. Yes. And it's funny that it got so popular,
0: because Trent really doesn't care for it. Yeah, that's right. He's sweet. Said- did yeah. you pick this for our music, yes, our music you, video um
1: episode of uh when we were with our friends at Writer's Bagel Basket? Yes. You can go check out that episode. That was one of my picks for a music video. That's right. And I discussed this there. But um, yeah. He he said it's like he doesn't hate it, but it's like one of his least favorite pieces of it's work. It's a throwaway song. He for wrote him. it for a soundtrack and he feels like it comes across like that.
0: No, I don't think it does at all. No, I don't either, but I guess
1: I can see, like, through Trent's eyes being like, it's just some commercialized piece of crap. I'll write a sweet hook, and then... And I mean, like, again, boy knows how to market. Boy knows how to write a fucking hook.
0: Yeah. But also, this is probably one of the most jarring songs yeah, that has ever been as popular as it was. Yeah, like, Closer and Perfect
1: Drug are probably the two most pop, centered like nine inch nail songs like the ones to get pop play yeah and yeah they're very jarring
0: yeah like the um truncated um strings yeah in the very beginning yes yeah that's so like what am i listening to what this makes me feel so uncomfortable this is sending like vibrations of darkness through my body but also I like that shit. So <laughs> I'm like no, Ooh, I like do it. it again. Keep doing it. I um, like it. And even like the the way he delivers the lyrics, the way he delivers his vocals is very like just blurring blinging it out at you. Yeah. Just like there's all of my fucking lyrics just blah with all of these crazy <laughs> strings in the background like blah lyrics. I don't think it's very mainstream at all, and yet it's somehow managed to be a huge hit. Right. I mean, I don't think Closer is mainstream. Not at all. I mean, but I guess it's in the beat and the hooks, but... But I feel like all of like our Hot Topic brethren were just like sitting up straighter a little bit when that came out, you know? Like, oh my god, is this on a pop station? Like, do I like pop music? Do I need to... Go get the soundtrack? Holy fuck. I think you do. Actually, Lost Highway. Do Great I also soundtrack. need a new pair of underpants? I oh, think you I do. definitely do. Yeah,
1: Especially if you're watching that music video. Oh. Mm-hmm. The, so the music video they made for it was very gothic, based on the illustrations of Edward Gorey. Telling a tale of a man grieving the loss of his son, which okay, that's not as sexy, but it was pretty glossy
0: with a high budget. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that they based it on Edward Gorey because Edward Gorey has like this underlying, like super dry kind of horror um, sense of humor. Yeah, to it that I don't really get with that video. <laughs> But I get where they got inspiration from Edward Gorey. Yeah, I think they just want to look like Edward
1: Gorey, but they didn't want to be Edward
0: Gorey. But it it was like, it was like Edward Gorey through the Dracula Vector. (laughs) We're going to take Edward Gorey, but we're going to turn him into Dracula. Exactly.
1: And then we're going to turn him into Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) That's all Rob Zombie. There's a bit of Rob Zombie in that with, like, the green absinthe. A little
0: bit, yeah. Hopefully it's not Manseth. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't buy Manseth. Nobody wants a Mar- Nobody asked for a Marilyn Manson no. absinthe. Nobody. Don't give that man money. No. I'm, I'm morbidly curious to see how it
1: tastes. Yeah. If- I mean, if somebody buys it and wants to, like, have us taste test it, it's- I will. It's probably
0: going to burn my esophagus. It's going to just be burning licorice. I like licorice but I don't want it to burn my esophagus yeah yeah
1: no (laughs) and look here's the thing I get it like Trent's done a lot of soundtrack work I mean even before the 2000s like he also had a song on natural born killers Mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier he had the crow um god he had another soundtrack too um and I think this was him but like I think Lost Highway was the place he really got to get his feet
0: wet yeah. Like, he was, like... He wasn't just doing the soundtrack. He was also doing the score.
1: Yeah. Not the total score, but he did, like, select. Yes. And I believe he's the reason Marilyn Manson got on the Lost Highway soundtrack. I don't know if he's the reason Bowie ended up on the soundtrack. But, you know, like, you just see all these... Tie-ins. You know, these tie-ins. Exactly. So yeah. the, I I have a feeling that Trent probably helped pull the strings on some of that.
0: Probably. But, I um, doubt it. But also, thing, it's
1: David Lynch, so yeah. he has all the strings. Probably, like,
0: He's pulling all the strings. Yeah,
1: actually, they're all David Lynch's strings. He's a weird man. I love him though. I like Twin Peaks. That's all I know. <laughs>
0: That's
1: all I got, guys. I'm sorry. But yeah, so I think Lost Highway was him being like, "All right, maybe I like making music for mm-hmm. things
0: hmm. for other people, essentially."
1: Mm-hmm. Little 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 nuggets of hints for next episode. Oh. All right, so now it's 1997, and Nine Inch Nails hasn't released an album in three years. And due to addiction, anxiety, and writer's block, a new album hasn't even really been started at this point. Oh, no. Oh, no. At one point, Trent made an attempt to get clean and went to rehab. It didn't fully stick, and he would once again use it, end up using eventually. Mm-hmm. But nothing would prepare him, though, for the death of his grandmother, the one who cared for him as a child. Oh, no. I know. After that, he finally realized he should start to try to seek some counseling, at least. Yeah. But, like, here's the thing. He's trying, but, like, it's not an overnight thing, guys.
0: No. It's going to
1: take him a few years, and it's going to take some...
0: It's kinda like it's gonna when take some
1: big shitty experiences to really get him to
0: It's kinda like quit. when you're like, I'm gonna get healthy and I'm gonna lose weight and you ate like chicken and vegetables for dinner mm. one time, but then like the next night you went to Taco Bell for breakfast. But
1: I ate chicken and veggies for dinner. How come last I haven't night?
0: lost like ten pounds? I feel seen. <laughs> I do that <laughs> literally every night. So Feel, yep. But Taco Bell breakfast is the only good thing they have left. <laughs> all right. Honestly, they've taken everything else away from They're us. Taken so. it all. It's 2020. Take everything from Can me. Can you take it all away? <laughs> <laughs> 2020 puddle of mud. No, I mean, honestly,
1: <sighs> it would become plain for Trent to see the downward spiral was a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. He couldn't shake his addictions. He was miserable and he felt lost. Making a new record was the scariest and most daunting task, one that he wasn't sure he was up for. But he went to task anyway in his studio in New Orleans with a new lineup of band members and a new producer in tow. They were about to embark on the unknown. He just was like, New Orleans sounds like a good idea. That's where he went after he um, sold the Tate house.
0: Okay. Yeah. So he went to a... He was debating actually between L.A. and New Orleans, and then he ended up... So with, he went from the most haunted house in America to one of the most haunted cities in America. I mean, come on, man. Gotta keep that spoop up. <laughs> Spoopy times. Trent Reznor is spoop. He is. He's like a Liza Minnelli musical. Trent Reznor is spoop. spoop. <laughs> in the 80s, he had Liza's hair. <laughs> it works.
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And they? will these... Efforts prove to be fruitful? Well, you are
0: going to have to tune in next week to find out. I think we're going to be disappointed, but... I'm not. I mean, no. Like, we're you and I are not going to be disappointed. Critics are going to be disappointed. Most everybody
1: else was disappointed.
0: Yeah. But we can talk about that next week. Yeah. On part two
1: of Trent Reznor. I mean, Nine Inch Nails. It's really just Trent Reznor. Synonymous. It's, you know, either or. Mm-hmm. I actually had a really hard time trying to figure out what I want to name the episode. If I wanted to name it Nine Inch Nails or Trent Reznor. And I'm ultimately going with Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. But it's really about
0: Trent Reznor. Because he is Nine Inch Nails. Right. Everybody else is a rotating door of musicians. Yeah. So. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Hope
1: you guys enjoyed this first part of the tale. It only gets wackier, guys. It only gets wackier.
0: I thought you said quackier and I'm okay, like quackier you know and quackier. Uh,
1: you know what? Spoilers. There's ducks in the next episode.
0: <laughs> so now you have to come back. Yeah, <laughs> now you have to come back. There's no d- Actually, I don't know if no, there are ducks. Sh- okay. There's, there's totally there's ducks. There's ducks in the next episode. Yeah. They're super cute. We're basically, yeah. We're friends level now. And we got a duck maybe and a some, chick. Maybe some guinea pigs. Ooh. We'll see. I like that. I love guinea pigs. That's just me, though. (laughs) Guinea Pigs and Ducks next week on Rock Candy.
1: (laughs) Until then, you can go visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com, for more episodes. Also, links to our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, home of all of the music podcasts you could ever want. So go
0: check them out, too. That would be helpful. Yeah, and if you want to give us some monies you can do that. If you want. If you want to. If you don't, that's fine too. We can we can deal. Yeah, just please download <laughs> our music or our episodes. God damn it. Yeah, that's all we really care about. But also <laughs> if you want to give us money, you can on Patreon. And then you get more episodes. Yeah. It's patreon.com slash Candy podcast. If you sign up, we will Send you some awesome swag, 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 and you get a free new video or f- episode. <laughs> I keep wanting to call it videos too. What's wrong with us? <laughs> I don't know. And you get an extra bonus episode every go. month. <laughs> free new, free new bonus episode every, <laughs> every month, month. I guess. I mean, honestly, it's not really free
1: though. Is it? you know what? I'm getting somatic now.
0: Yeah. Anyway. But also, we have merch, and you should go buy that from us. Yeah, right? Go buy some sweet <laughs> cause merch. Because it's pretty awesome. And it's good ho- merch. Yeah, it is good merch. I enjoy it. And just go to com and search for Rock Candy Podcast. Yeah. If you buy some merch,
1: you should uh, post it and tag us in it, and we'll be like, hey, cool, thanks yeah maybe we'll share your photos i don't know take a cool like photo shoot do a boudoir shoot with our merch (laughs) and i'll be like with our t-shirts and our uh leggings and our face masks yeah maybe i'll do a boudoir (laughs) fucking shoot with our masks some mask on each tit
0: (laughs) nice button over each nipple (laughs) there you go So or coasters over each. Oh yeah, coasters over each nipple. There you go. Coasters can be pasties too, guys. There you go. We got (laughs) it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So come in next week, guys,
1: for more tales of the the nails of nine inches. Yes.
0: Yeah. So the uh, spirals of the downward ways. The downward ways that spiral. The machines of pretty hate. All right. We're done. We're broken. <laughs> uh, until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie.
1: And party on, you could raise the kids out there.
0: Bye. Can you take it all away? Oh my God! shut up. Can you take it all away? Hey. I think probably all of garbage. <laughs>